1: welcome to dear prudence i'm your prudence janae desmond harris today i'll be answering letters from readers with dilemmas about workplace socializing friends who are no longer likable people and youth football to help me answer them i'll be joined by bomani jones Bomani is a journalist and Emmy award-winning executive producer, he hosts Game Theory with Bomani Jones on HBO, and the sports podcast The Right Time with Bomani Jones. He's written on sports, music, culture, and politics for a variety of online and print publications, and he regularly appears on ESPN. Also, if you're a devout Prudy listener and reader, you may also recognize him as one of our guest Prudy writers. We asked smart, thoughtful people like himself to step in as Prudy for the day and give you advice. He did a great job. To help you get to know him even better, I asked him for three little facts that you won't find in his bio. Number one, he was once caught sneaking into the Super Bowl. Number two, the one time he dunked a basketball in a game, he had to flee because it was a project and it was taken as disrespect. Number three, he once covered a celebrity roast of Rudy Ray Moore. Vamani and I will dive into your questions after a short break, and um, if we disagree, I will not take it as disrespect. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babel. I love how easy it is to use, and as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Bavel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com prudy. Get 55% off at babbel.com prudy, spelled babbe prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like... Book bans.
3: The book banning side, they have an incredibly well-oiled machine.
2: Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges
0: where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market.
2: And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health.
4: Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family.
2: New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Bomani Jones. Hey, Bomani.
0: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for coming in today to help answer these letters. One of them I picked specially for you. (laughs) All good. So let's go ahead and dive right in. The first letter is called Not Mingling.
2: I wasn't looking forward to my first in-person work gathering because I'm not a fan of big groups, but I showed up and put on a happy face. I was even sort of enjoying myself. It was a chance to catch up with my remote colleagues in person, and I bonded with the other introverts in smaller groups instead of tearing up the dance floor. The problem is my manager. Every time she saw me having a quiet conversation with one or two people, she'd run over, shout at me for not mingling, and drag me to some random large group of people before disappearing. By a few hours in, I felt I couldn't do anything without her turning up and grilling me on how many important people I'd spoken to, and if I was having fun. Finally, I told her that I was all good, she didn't need to keep looking after me, and to please give me some space. I thought she was finally off my back. But the next day at work, she took me aside and said I was mean and aggressive, and that my behavior was inappropriate. Now, in the week since, she's acting as if nothing ever happened whereas I'm in a constant ball of anxiety. This person is my manager, so I have to see her all the time on Zoom. What is my next move here?
1: So I don't think this interaction is that dramatic or horrible, um, or it would not be if it took place among friends, family members, or acquaintances. But once you're at the point with your manager while, where you're saying, leave me alone... And they're saying, you're mean and aggressive. I feel like you need to be on LinkedIn um, or calling your network for new roles as soon as possible
0: yeah like what's what's interesting about that is it sounds like the boss was trying to operate from a positive position like it seemed like a hey we think good things about you and you need to be nice to these people because mm-hmm. you're at the job like they don't do this to people they don't care about like they right. care about you they just be like yeah go sit over there and twiddle your thumbs don't nobody care but then what you got to be mean and aggressive which also forced me to try to imagine some particulars about the people involved in this story and how some of those particulars might affect the direction that this interaction has traveled but yeah no 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 if your boss thinks that you're mean and aggressive i don't know how you're gonna fix that
1: so i did also wonder of course um because this is the way i look at the world about the racial dynamics here and i had to ask whether um the person who was deemed mean and aggressive was a black woman because i've just heard i've heard that happen so many times in workplaces actually a good friend is going through that right now for simply like gentle pushing back on a manager's suggestions about a project um so, I mean, I would love to interview this person and figure out all the details. But without knowing that, I just think, again, once you've gotten to this place with your manager, you're not really going to come back from that. And the thing about being at work, like you said, Bamani, is you kind of have to be a little, more, um, a little more accommodating than maybe you would be with your average person. Like if your cousin is coming over and saying, you're not mingling, come hang out. You can be like, hey, leave me alone, I'm fine. If your boss is doing it, you kind of probably, mingle time. it's it's probably mingle time and you probably want to do it and it's very okay to not like it. But the response to that is to look for another job, right? Because this isn't like, (laughs) this is annoying behavior. This isn't um, HR violation type behavior. It's not even really rude. It's just something you don't like. And the unfortunate thing about work is that, you know, we're there to do whatever we do in exchange for money, not to have a good time. And so you kind of have to roll with some things.
0: Well, you also raise what I think is an interesting question is, do people tell white women that they're mean and aggressive in these circumstances? Because we don't know. Mm -hmm. Like It was interesting to me when social media let me know about all these men telling women they should smile more. But the reason it struck me was when I was in college, people stayed telling me to smile more. Like it took a lot for me to actually Mm -hmm. like appreciate that as a constant microaggression against women, because that was something that people hit me with all the time. They just thought I would look Mm. more pleasant if I didn't look so surly all the time. So like Mm -hmm. that was not something that I attached to gender in the way that women do. Now I don't know how many other men have people say this. So I can't say that it's like an across the board behavior, but it is also entirely possible that there are a lot of white women out here being told that they've been mean and aggressive, and we got no idea because ain't nobody asking them about it, you know? So who knows? This may be a white woman who's very effective. that we're sitting here assuming that she's black right now. She has no beads, she has no braids, she has nothing. Um, Wait, this could be a
1: white man for all we know.
0: That's exactly it. Like, yo, they always tell me I'm just too aggressive. Like, who knows, right? Right. Like, like, we could be all the way wrong the person finally got the advice they needed from Prudy, only to find out that we are evaluating it according to a paradigm that has absolutely nothing to do with them.
1: Right. So, either way, okay, identity aside, um... (laughs) This person, okay, I've noticed two things here. One, this person says they're an introvert. Two, this person evidently was not mingling with a larger group. Three, this person says they're now a constant ball of anxiety. I just wonder whether there are like some underlying um, mental health issues, feels too strong, but maybe some anxiety or s- some social anxiety that um, the letter writer could try to get a handle on that could smooth out these situations in the future. Because you don't really want to be the person who can't talk to a group at a work event um, and who then is like totally traumatized by this interaction and like super nervous every time you get on Zoom. That's not a great way to live.
0: Yeah, particularly not if you got like any ambitions about where you're going to go in this, right? Right. Like if you you wish to ascend you're going to probably have to deal with large groups of people in mm-hmm. ways that you may not necessarily feel like, but we are still human beings and the way that we interact matters in terms of the relationships and everything else that you got there. So yeah, I think even if the boss was being off-putting, it might be a time to like, think about why this is a problem for you and what maybe you could do to make your life better.
1: Okay, so I've made clear what I think, which is that the long-term plan should be find a new job and maybe get some emotional support, but what do you think this person should be doing like next week or or tomorrow when they have to see this person on Zoom?
0: Ah, uh, maybe turn the screen off. <laughs> maybe that's the Zoom <laughs> play just turn the screen off. I mean, mm-hmm. I also think that part of this is, this doesn't necessarily have to be a permanent condition and I can understand the concern about If I say something, is it going to be too much? Is it going to be? And on that, you just kind of, I feel like you just have to ride out what you think is appropriate, right? You do the best it is that you think that you can do. And if that proves to be off-putting your boss, then I guess it kind of reaffirms um, what it is that we're talking about, that it's time for you to probably go do something else. But in the meantime, hope one of y'all turn the screen off or whatever it is, lay as low as you possibly can, but... Sometimes you just kind of got to go through the hard stuff, right? Like, I know that doesn't sound like the greatest advice in the world. Suck it up. But on occasion, it is the option we must choose. Mm
1: -hmm. And awkwardness isn't the worst thing in the world. I think the good news here is that the manager is, quote, acting as if nothing ever happened. It's kind of the best possible outcome when you tell your boss to, like, basically leave you the hell alone. And they act like nothing ever happened a week later. Like, you're okay.
0: Yeah, I, that is an interesting one, too. I imagine the boss going home. Would you believe she told me to leave her alone?
1: Right. Right. She was mean and aggressive. But now the <laughs> boss is like, all right, it's a, it's a new week. The party's over. And now we just need to get back to the work. So, yes, good luck. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again... That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Bomani Jones, to answer your letters. Okay, here's our next question. It is titled Orlando Auntie. So I am a regular worker here. Recent advice and debate in the comments have given me some doubts. I recently moved to a hot vacation destination. Everyone in my family wants to visit, but when I lived two hours away from them, none of them ever visited me. And the excuse was getting the kids in the car was too much effort, while I, as a single child, this woman could make the drive easily. I do love my family. I love my nibblings. But I don't get how suddenly driving and flying halfway across the country is doable but driving to see me when I live less than 70 miles away for years wasn't. I can understand and would love to host far-flung old friends since many live abroad and have either hosted me or offered to. I don't know what to do about the middle gap here. Advice? Okay, so I hear the bitterness just sort of seeping out of this letter, and I get it these people didn't want to come see you when you had nothing to offer them in terms of vacation. And now they do. Now that you live at a hot vacation destination um, goes without saying like, you're within your rights to say, no, you didn't visit me then and you can't visit me now. I just wonder if we can look at sort of a larger goal in terms of your relationship with these people. What do you want here? Do you want a relationship with your nibblings? Do you want to be close to these family members? Um, Is there any room to understand that people do decide how to use their vacation time based on like what's a desirable destination and not just who will be there? These are just some of the things that popped into my mind. What do you think about money?
0: So I have lived this one as I lived Mm. in Miami for four years. Oh, you did? I did. A lot more people want to highlight at you when you live in Miami than when you live in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. This is just kind of how it goes. Now, I would say this. I am curious how long our uh, letter writer has lived in this destination because it doesn't last forever. Okay. Right? Like the novelty and appeal of it, it kind of dwindles off and you kind of wish that they were using you so that they could come hang out in the vacation place. But this is, this is the bottom line on this and it doesn't feel good necessarily, but this is the truth. Mm-hmm you are offering much more now <laughs> right. than you did when you lived 70 <laughs> miles away. <laughs> right. There's there's more going on. There's more cracking. It might even be better for you in the sense that now you don't have to entertain them all the time because they'll be going to whatever beach or casino or whatever it is that's in the place where you live. Mm-hmm. But I, I totally understand feeling your resentment. Like, was I not enough? And it's less that you weren't enough than it is, There's a whole lot more on the table now in the place where you are. And I think that most people, when they envision traveling, unless they're going to see like a grandparent or a parent in that Mm -hmm. way, they think about where the place is that they're going. And so they think, yeah, it makes a lot more sense for you to come up here where where we are and everybody else can hang out and da, da, da. But now you're in this new place. Yeah, they're a little more interested in seeing that place. I would suggest not staying mad at that any longer than you have to, because that's just how it works.
1: (laughs) Don't stay mad at that any longer than you have to. Wonderful advice. I'm going to borrow that just because I just feel like there's no, um, there's no real ill intent here. There's no real manipulation. Um, I don't think anyone in this is a bad person. Like, like you said, it's just worth thinking about how human beings operate, how vacation time operates, how life with kids operates. And honestly, When you used to live somewhere that wasn't as exciting, did you really want these people to come sit in your house and do nothing but, like, walk to Walmart all day? Would that have been (laughs) fun for anyone? And wouldn't you know that wouldn't have been fun for anyone? Like, you didn't actually want that to happen. Um, This is fine. So strategically, I think if you don't want to be overwhelmed with, like, family just using you as a hotel, just think about um, how many weeks out of the year or which weekends out of the year you can accept guests. Fill those in first with, like, your your far-flung friends who you love and who you think value as a person. And then whatever's left, your family can have that.
0: Yeah. that's. The, I, I think that's really the way to do it. Like, I, I wonder how many other people in her life are doing the same – or his or her life are doing the same thing. So then it then piles up. You know, it just feels like everybody just wants to use me as the free hotel. And I would definitely push back against that one, right? Like, the you can stay with me while you're here is – I mean, it's a gesture of love, certainly. It's also people getting over on you mm-hmm. just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Like, it's an awkward thing when it comes to the, hey, well, we'll just come stay with you because you have a place there, and it'll save us money. Right. It's like when people it's like when people book the last flight out because it's the cheapest, but you got to go pick them up.
1: Right, totally. You know,
0: they are passing this off on to you. But, nah, a lot more people are going to want to come see you now that you live somewhere cool.
1: And I think it's also okay to, like, differentiate between visits that are primarily to see you and visits that are crashing with you while someone goes to Disneyland and if like your cousin says, "Oh, me and the kids would love to come see you. We're going to Disneyland." You can say, "Oh, great. I'm not really in a position to host. Um, but if you want to crash, like the pull-out couch is there, the extra bedroom is there. Feel free. Like this can be your hotel, but I'm not going to um like reorganize my life around entertaining you every moment because we all know that you're here for the theme parks. This is Dear Prudence. We have to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned.
3: On Debt, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things.
0: I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like
2: air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough this is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving
3: listen to death sex and money wherever you get podcasts
1: um okay bomani are you ready for a question that i was actually going to skip and then i realized you were coming on and i basically want to hand it over to you completely all good okay great it's titled is my argument not a touchdown
4: pretty. I'm a Northeasterner now living in the Deep South, football country. I am white and my husband is Black. Help us settle a debate. He wants to allow our nine-year-old son, who is very large for his age and athletic, to play tackle football, which of course is huge down here. I think this is irresponsible. I don't want to risk him getting a concussion or many concussions over the years, and moreover, I feel uncomfortable with the larger sport in which mostly Black athletes risk life and limb for white coaches, owners, and audiences. He'll probably be very good, but what is the reward for that? Playing for a college that will take advantage of him, or worse, the NFL, which my husband and I both boycotted over the treatment of Colin Kaepernick. It wasn't hard for me because I don't watch football, but I did boycott. I know it's the culture here, but I feel that there are plenty of other sports that could keep him safe and treat him with more care. As a woman and as a white person who is not from here, I worry my opinion doesn't matter, but it's my son, and it's our family's values. Help. stay woke
0: okay. <laughs> baby sleep <laughs> oh man uh, I joke but I agree with just about everything that she said even though I'm really? a person okay. who covers all the football and makes a lot of money based upon this exploitation that she discusses but I'm thinking about it just from the standpoint of young people and I am of the belief that there is no reason to play tackle football before you're 14 years old at the earliest like I don't 14. think 14 yeah okay,
1: why 14 um
0: Because I am not far enough along in my journey to be with the football should be outlawed crowd. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there are some positives that people can derive from the institutions of football. And so once you get to 14, you're getting to high school and those sorts of things. You know, so like I can see that's when we start entertaining the possibility. But there's no reason for an eight year old to be playing tackle football or a nine year old to be playing tackle football. What I found funny is she says she got the big kid and she worried about him getting a concussion. And I heard it and I was worried (laughs) about the other kids. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, it sounds like, look, man, when a parent tells you that their kid's a little big, that kid is really big. Right. Like, I He's was, probably
1: I, the size of a 14-year-old. Yeah,
0: right yeah. I was, yeah I, was, I was terrified for the rest of them. But I think, I think I'm very interested in, like, the background and perspective of the family that she's married into and how they feel about this. Because something I always say about sports generally, but football in particular. So imagine a football game and everything that goes on with it. And we're going to make one small change. There's no ball. Hmm. Now you just imagine people running around and running into each other, uh-huh. right? Like you imagine just a full contact game of tag. It would be the dumbest thing you've ever thought of or ever heard of or anything else and you would stop it. But once you put a ball into play, all of a sudden everything becomes so much more significant. Like a nobility is conferred upon it. There's this central thing where all the energy comes around and it like you could imagine like glowing coming out of it, right? But mm-hmm. if you just stop and look at what a football game is, you're like, oh, this is crazy. I would never let my children do this. Like, hey, how'd you like to go run into a wall over and over again? Like right. nobody nobody otherwise would let their nine-year-old do that. And so I think that she is correct. And I think also on one level, I think she may be overstating their the her family's perhaps lack of willingness to listen to her on a cultural level. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I don't know how exactly it works in their family when the white woman start talking. You know what I mean? Like I, I got a family situation that's very similar. We we like uh we we like that white woman a great deal, and we listen when she talks. I have definitely seen the places where when she come down there, especially speaking that wokeology that I read in that letter, and she come down acting all concerned about it. I could totally see that there may be a family where the eye rolling takes place and everything else, but I would. I would honestly hope for her own end that she's able to stand her ground because I don't think I just don't think it's physically healthy for children to play that crazy but highly entertaining game.
1: Yeah, I think as as a mother, I think you need to be able to feel confident protecting your child's head and brain and body (laughs) um, and not sort of like second guess yourself because of self consciousness around like identity and cultural issues, which I think it's good that she's a little bit hesitant and leaving room for there to be something that maybe, you know, she's not tapping into here because of like her geographic origins, her race, like her cultural history. But um, a concussion is a concussion, like a broken limb is a broken limb. And I think this conversation will become more productive if she starts to think about the kind of thing you were talking about, about age. So it doesn't have to be, football is horrible, dangerous, and racist, or yeah. football is the best part of our culture and everyone should do it from age three, I think she should start to negotiate around like, what year, what position, right. what, I don't know, do they have different kind of helmets? Are there different protections? Is there any way you can make it um, less dangerous and less problematic?
0: Yeah, and I think the middle ground in the short run is flag football, which actually could wind up being good um, for their seemingly large young man as if he's playing in the tackle football they'll have him just do all the big people stuff but you expand your skills more doing some of the little people stuff when you are a big person and maybe that's the spin that you make it's just like no we we don't want him to be a tackle we want him to be a tight end tight ends make a little bit more money right like maybe that maybe that's the spin you know that you ultimately give on it but I agree with you in the standpoint of if you feel like you need to protect your child you can't stand down on that because it might be awkward like, like imagine how you would feel if like the kid did suffer a concussion and this is a real thing right the kid suffers a concussion right. you're over there like but damn i didn't want to make big mama mad that is not going to feel good for <laughs> you um i feel like as it you know as, as you proceed on that i don't think that yeah you know, i just don't think that's gonna be a winner but i really do i just like i say for me it would be crazy town the idea of having a nine-year-old playing tackle football because what you got to worry about in that it's not the other kids it's all these Dads doing coach cosplay, and mm-hmm. they are way like the biggest problem right now with youth sports is there is the youth's parents, hmm. and I don't know if I would I would not feel comfortable trusting my kids' physical future to these uh what you call them um with Jamoki Jamoks that's what they call them these Jamoks they got out here I don't know J A M O K E I've seen it written down but these jokers okay. that they got out here coaching these kids in football no nah, I wouldn't trust my kids with them at all. <laughs>
1: Okay, so what about the the part about exploitation and race in college? Um, You know, I don't follow sports at all, but I know enough to know that you can now make money as a college athlete. So does that kind of take care of this issue a little bit? Oh,
0: no. So, yeah, we did something a couple weeks ago in the New York Times about this and an essay on game theory on HBO about this. Players are able to get paid um, basically for endorsement deals off their names, images, and likenesses, but the schools are still not paying them. So you have to be kind of famous enough to get some money at this point and the average college athlete is getting 1100 dollars a year off of the name image and likeness stuff so it's not it sounds
1: re- like a lot when you're in college yeah it sounds oh, no, like, yeah, like a no, lot when really we
0: were in college inflation is a monster we have to keep in mind like you can't stretch that 1100 dollars but so far um but no the exploitation thing is all correct and that's a concern and it's to me an irony of it which is It's only a concern if your kid is really good. But if your kid isn't really good at playing football, what's the point of taking on all this risk? It's like almost best case scenario is to go get exploited for a few years.
1: Right. And then, I mean, just one final piece on this. I think it's worth asking the kid how he feels. Um, it could be that this is really a non-issue because the kid is like, I would rather learn coding, you know, <laughs> or I'm, I'm fine with waiting. Um, or I'm, s- this is all I want to do. I'm so passionate about it. Please find a way for me to play mm-hmm. flag football or do, do it. In some kind of way that's safe um so just don't forget that like you're very concerned about him and also he is a person yes um who has his own values and opinions
0: people here. always think them big kids just want to play football and i grew up in texas so i would see this the big kid they just really wasn't into it but yeah. everybody's like well what's the point of being big
1: yeah he might like to do something else completely so okay i think we have some good options here um please report back and also i think bomani is going to help you win this debate so <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Okay, um, last question for today. It's called three years of friendship, three years of did you really say that?
5: How do I kindly but firmly end a friendship as an adult? I've had a friend of six years, Will. We used to have fun together and mutually supported each other through some hard stuff. In the past three years, Will has made some big changes. The end of his first adult relationship and a new ambitious job that is a huge career builder. This is great, but he's become incredibly fixated on money, and also the fact that no one will sleep with him. It's been a refrain for the past few years, talking about how he's an eligible man, talking about his spending, complaining about how none of the women that meet his standards are interested in him. As a woman, although thankfully a lesbian, I find this offensive. As someone in a similar job and income bracket, asking people what they spend on every little thing is rude. I've tried to talk to him about this stuff, but it didn't seem to go in. I'm really tired of this and began a slow fade a year ago, although our shared friends and proximity mean that we'll ideally become acquaintances. But he won't let go, and I'm not sure how direct I should be. I don't want to hurt him, but I also don't think we really have anything in common these days. I leave every conversation feeling vaguely slimy. What's the best next step?
1: So you've already done the obvious things here. You've tried to talk to him and you've done the slow fade out, which I really support a slow fade out in certain circumstances. I just think most people aren't really going to chase you all the way down to maintain a friendship. Um, But once you've tried those things and they haven't worked and you've made it clear what's bothering you, I think you need to have an official friend breakup. And I've actually done this before. It means you have to sit down with the person or text them and say, you know, it seems like we just keep bumping heads on this stuff. Um, We don't see eye to eye anymore. We've talked. I've told you the things that bother me. Um, I totally respect your right to keep living the way you want to live and talking the way you want to talk, but it's just not working for me. And just like you would say in a breakup, just say, like, no hard feelings. It's not you. It's me. But let's take some space and I'll see you at, like, the parties of mutual friends, but I don't see us having a one-on-one friendship anymore. Is that, am I living in a fantasy world? Can someone do that in real life, Money?
0: Well, I mean, I feel like you can do that. I think it normally doesn't come to that. Like, what I find to be so interesting about this is, like, I think we all have friendships in some ways that peter out or they evolve or they change. But at least for me, there's rarely a need to have, like, a discussion at this inflection point to say, hey, mm-hmm. this is where it's going. So, what I find to be very interesting about this is, that he ain't tired of her yet in the same way. <laughs> like, I'm listening to what his rhetoric is and, you know, what this stuff is. You know, it seems like very internet, like high-value man kind of stuff. And I'm surprised that he even wants to keep talking to her, given me too. that. And that's what I think is most surprising about this to me is that normally when friendships bump against walls like this, like everybody's kind of aware of it. And like he's making changes, you would think would take him in different directions and he would be finding new friends or new people that were more along you know, the line of thought that he had because at least in my experience, people that talk the rhetoric he's talking typically aren't that interested in hearing pushback on it. And so I guess he must really, really like her where if he's still hanging around, he has a high value man being with this woman that ain't never gonna sleep with him, right? Maybe he can rationalize it. because right. Maybe he can rationalize it because it ain't about him per se but i mean yeah i don't i mean i'm not saying the ghost to do necessarily but i think the slow fade out that you talk about if you're not interested in talking to that person you don't have to keep talking to that person and i don't know if you necessarily need to announce that
1: yeah i was actually shocked too when i got to the part that said she's a lesbian because i'd created a narrative where he had a crush on her and he was actually pursuing her and he was using all this talk about money and like how great he was and this sort of weird insolid, adjacent, like you said, high value man listening to too many podcasts type of point of view. I thought that was all about how he would really like to date her and she wouldn't date him. But I assume her being a lesbian, that's something he accepts and isn't trying to change. So he just seems like incredibly, incredibly clueless. And it might not even be that he values her that much as a friend. It might be that he just likes hearing himself talk and will talk to anyone.
0: Yeah. And I'll be honest. I'm curious as to like when they got cool, how they got cool. What is Mm. it that they were, you know, what were the things that their relationship was built around? And I asked that. Because if this dude is getting all the money that he's saying, and he still can't meet women, something mm-hmm. is wrong, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, his like, whole
1: personality—it sounds yeah, like. Yeah,
0: and that's not to say that a woman is going to be with you just because you have money, but it greatly increases the patience that you receive in proving yourself early. Like, hey, he may have been having a bad day, right? Like, like you, you, you get you get that slack on a bad first date when you got some money or you got something else going. And if, if he really got bread like he says, and they still not sleep with him it it might be a you buddy
1: well to be fair he says none of the women who quote meet his standards are interested in him so there might Ah. be just there might be some women out there who would love to be patient with him and then he's kind of aiming for like a different target audience that even his money isn't enough to get them interested yeah
0: i'd love to know what that standard is because my experience is that women are a forgiving species like to to the point of their own detriment wow even for broke dudes.
1: Wow. Well, this doesn't reflect well on Will at all. Um, and I, I would be interested to know why everyone else in the friend group still wants to be friends with him or maybe they don't. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe he, fade he fade
0: pays out. for everything since he got all <laughs> this money.
1: <laughs> maybe that could actually explain a lot. Um, but anyway, letter writer, you have tried, um, you have done everything, but money thinks you can continue a fade out. I would say if the fade out doesn't work, um, It sounds like this is someone who might be like hard-headed enough that you really just need to like tell him explicitly that this friendship isn't working for you. And he's not going to take it well, I can tell by his personality, but also you don't care because you don't like him. So those are all the questions we have for this week. And as always, I really hope we've been at least a little bit helpful. Bomani, thank you so much, especially for the youth football question, because, you know, I had no idea.
0: Uh, No problem. I appreciate you having me. Check us out. HBO Game Theory, Fridays, 11 p.m. HBO, HBO Max. HBO Max is important because it'd be there forever.
1: Yes, catch Bamani every Friday on his show Game Theory with Bamani Jones on HBO, and go listen to him on his sports podcast, The Right Time with Bomani Jones. It's where he weighs in on sports, pop culture, social topics, and more, with your comments on Mondays, Friends of the Show on Wednesdays, and Dominique Foxworth on Fridays. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, co-workers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com P R U D I E. The dear prudence column publishes every Thursday, and you can join us for the dear prudence live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern.
0: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley Rex, with a special thanks to Brandon Nix. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.